All right, cool. So sitting next to me is RJ Breeden from Remax Sales. Like Chris said, the reason we um, decided to bring RJ in, if you've been to any of our meetings before, we always bring in local uh, local investors, local realtors, local professionals that are in the market right now doing deals. Pretty much every single person we've ever brought up here, we have personally done business for. Uh, RJ's helped us sell a bunch of houses, and he's staged a bunch of houses for us, and we've got very good results. And it doesn't matter if you're in the Baltimore area, the DC area, I think you can get a lot of value. Uh, as we know, Real estate investing is a great business, but flipping properties can be hard. And we all spend a lot of our resources on marketing to find good deals. We spend a lot of resources managing construction, uh, dealing with contractors we know is all hard. So obviously we, want, we all wanna make sure after this product's completely done that it sells for the exact price that we hope it would sell for at the beginning. So we wanna keep this conversational. It's usually a good way to do it instead of just RJ kind of lecturing. We're gonna keep this conversational. I've got a, a few good questions lined up for RJ that, uh, that he's gonna talk about. He's gonna talk a, a little bit on the front end related to what he does to sell properties for top dollar. Then I asked him to talk a little bit about what he sees in the market right now, some market trends, as well as some case studies of why a certain property sold for top dollar and why a certain property did not sell for top dollar. So we can all use that as a real life example. So let's just start off, RJ, why don't you just tell everybody in like a minute, uh, just a little bit about yourself. My name is RJ Breeden with Breeden Group of Remax Sales. We're a full service real estate team in the Baltimore metro area. Uh, about 60% of our business comes from investors. Um, with that being said, I am a dedicated listing specialist um, that specializes in selling your property. So a lot of agents out there are buyer's agents, uh, rental agents, listing agents. When you hire my team and my services, you deal with me directly, uh, most likely from start to finish on the sale of your property, coaching you through uh, the rehab, what sells, what doesn't sell, any tips, any pointers that I can obviously address. And I'm here to coach you and advise you in the process because it's my job on the back end uh, to sell your homes. And when they sit on the market and they don't sell, um, it falls back on me and then I come back to you guys and say well guys we got to adjust the price and then you're unhappy and we don't like that so with that being said um, you know we take a lot of pride in helping you and coaching you through the through the product and uh, obviously getting your house listed and more importantly getting it sold so when an investor comes to you for the first time because obviously as a real estate investor it's great just to do a nice product and hey, what realtor should I pick? Who should I, who should I list this for? And a lot of the times, typically you're, you're basing that off of who will tell you you're gonna sell it for the, for the most expensive price. But the right way to do it is before you even buy the property, reach out to you know, a local professional and help them, you know, ask them some advice on the front end. Uh, you know, someone who typically, like how many houses a year do you sell uh, approximately, or your team? So last year we sold about 145 houses. The year before that we did 130 houses. I've been in the business eight years. Uh, we did about $31 million in sales volume last year. Yeah, so he's, he's seen a lot of different properties in a lot of different neighborhoods. He knows that a lot of it. I mean, a lot of big real estate investors, if they flip a few properties a year, they're, doing, they're, they're in a good spot. So you know, he's got the luxury to see a lot of different neighborhoods, a lot of stuff. He knows what's going. So instead of doing a lot of heavy lifting yourself, you know, have a real, it doesn't have to be Archie, but any real estate agent who knows that area, let them do it. So let's talk a little bit about 
an investor comes to you, they're thinking about buying a property in a certain, any, you know, any type of neighborhood, what are things that you would recommend to them? Maybe upgrades, design tips, like what's hot right now? Like talk, talk a little bit about what, what you recommend. You know, knowing that, hey, I'm about to buy this property at whatever, $100,000, what are what are some advice that you have knowing that you know in, in the long run hopefully after they renovate it they'll let you they'll let you list it absolutely so uh i think chris uh at the beginning of the meeting uh he hit the nail on the head when he says you know don't compare yourself to other 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 realtors in the area so some of you may be new some of you may be experts but i think it goes a long way to identify the deal so in baltimore in the baltimore metro area the deal can change within a Baltimore block, I call it. So when you're looking at these deals and you're analyzing these deals, you go north of Eastern Avenue or you go into a neighborhood where maybe you're unfamiliar. Um, don't try to be the pioneer of that neighborhood. So when I say investors reach out to me, we try to analyze the deal, look at the numbers. Um, we're always searching MLS um, just to see kind of where the comps are and, and days on market. And I think it goes a long way. So. When it comes to the design tips, um, the buying process for the buyer starts at the, at the I say the curb. So when a potential buyer is gonna come see your property, it's gonna start with the neighbors, the drive into the neighborhood, um, the surrounding areas. So take that into consideration. Drive the neighborhood. I had an investor from Pennsylvania call me yesterday and she said, we bought a house sight unseen. I said, oh, that's not good. Um, with that being said, it's probably about four blocks in the not so great neighborhood. Um, now we have to work backwards. She didn't call me to analyze the deal. Um, it's a simple five minute conversation a lot of times. Jason will call me and say, hey, what do you think of this deal? What do you think of that deal? And we have good conversations with other, I say, investors in the neighborhood. I've built my business off relationships, so I take a lot of pride in that. And I hope to build relationships with people in this room as well. So if you're new or an expert in the business, um, there's no such thing as a dumb question. So when it comes to the design aspect of things, new buyers like that open floor plan. So, you know, use neutral colors, use an open floor plan. Um, I say don't try to cut corners. Um, just put the product out there and it kind of sells itself, but the finish is what really gets it done. So you guys work, you know, let's say 90 days to 120 days on a rehab, and then like the vent covers aren't done, the outlet covers aren't done, the punch list items aren't done. You guys have worked so hard over the last, you know, 90 to 120 days, and you guys are, I'm over budget, I'm over budget. I get it, I get it, I understand. Um, but with that being said, that's the finish. That's the finish that the buyer sees when they walk in the door. And I think that goes a long way um, when it comes to the design aspect of things, um, there's, you know, a lot of investors are using white cabinets. So how do you set yourself apart from the five other houses in the neighborhood that have white cabinets? It could be as simple as um, cabinet handles. It could be a wine refrigerator in the island. These things aren't stretching your budget, but if you're going to buy a wine fridge for $500, maybe it wows the consumer when they walk in the door oh wow, it's a wine fridge. They'll probably never use it. Um, but with that being said, it separates your house from the next house. Uh, let's say the average buyer is seeing about five to seven houses at a time with their buyer's agents. Um, a lot of times the buyer's agents aren't taking notes, the buyers aren't taking notes, and then it clouds the buyers when they go 
let's say that afternoon or that evening they go back with their spouse and they talk about houses well what house did you like what house did you like you know so if you can do the smallest things that maybe make make it stand out for example the wine fridge well we really love that house with the wine fridge um, I think that goes a long way in the design aspect of things and the, because you're going to put an island in, you're going to have white cabinets, you're going to use white granite. That's what the, what's people are trending. So maybe you use gray cabinets, they're the same price. Maybe you use gold handles instead of uh, oil rub bronze handles. Um, these are simple things uh, that I'd say your property is going to stand out from others in the neighborhoods that you're trying to sell. So <clears throat> use the term stand out. Do you think, and you know there's always a common misconception, and especially that we see this on the lending end, there's so many people that just put lipstick on a pig, right? And I think that, you know, a few years ago, maybe that worked, but I tell you firsthand, you can probably say, say firsthand, like that just doesn't work anymore. Like buyers aren't, they're not dumb. And the other side is, is even if a buyer's buying a property at 250 or $300,000 in Baltimore, which is equivalent to, call it $600,000 in the DC area, you know, they expect really, you know, really nice things. But that being said, nice things doesn't doesn't necessarily mean expensive things, right? If you if you do it if you do it the right way. But going back to the standout, so I know a lot of investors that we do loans for, they always have like their magic charm that they that and I'm curious your thoughts on this, that they do. Like for instance, there's a, a developer in DC and you know they always paint all the doors red so no matter what they're doing they paint the door red and people just know that you know they're they're the guys with the with the red doors i know people that do these funny little painting things in baltimore in the foyer so you come in there and you see like their little charm related to that like what would be something you can just you know get creative maybe people you know can 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 think through this as they go home or tonight what are just a few things that maybe someone could do really creatively in order to really stand out? Maybe, you know, painting a front door, maybe putting a certain type of bush in the front, something that like all of a sudden people, you know, even if the roof's collapsing, this is the only thing that they remember. <laughs> you got anything like? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, that's a good point. Um, so I think in DC, you're seeing it a lot more in DC than you are in Baltimore. Um, but interior doors, to paint the interior doors black, so I love the color Sherman Williams on the rocks. Uh, it's a very like light gray almost. Um, you most of everybody everybody's putting white trim in the in the house, and then maybe you put black interior doors. So you have black interior doors. Again, that's a standout feature to the property that's separating you from the next guy. Or coffered ceilings, um, main floor. When you walk in the door, maybe you have some coffered ceilings in, in the house which is great. Um, you could change the color of the island. So if you're doing white cabinets, maybe you put a black island in. Um, just simplest things that you guys are already doing essentially, but maybe you just change it. Uh, maybe a sink in the island instead of uh, against the kitchen wall. Um, and that sh that'll stand out. And, but more importantly, the people that I see getting top dollar, they're creating a brand. So when they're selling these houses above market, it's a brand that these buyers are buying. Um, and I think that goes a, a long way, a very long way, whether it's a builder's warranty and things like that. These guys are taking the right steps to stand out through the process of the rehab. So when a home inspection's going on, I show up to all my home inspections. When you hire me, why do I do that? Because if there's a problem during the home inspection, I wanna address it with my seller. 
And a lot of times when a deal falls apart or goes sideways, it's due to a lack of communication or a miscommunication. And I can tell you in the last eight years, I've seen a lot of people get into the business to become realtors that don't really have an idea of what's going on. So if they're representing the buyer, the only person that's educating them is the home inspector. The home inspector's sometimes not even right. The houses aren't done, you know, let's say a house is done to code and then this home inspector comes in and, and, and says, well, this needs to be done this way or this needs to be done this way. So when I show up with my seller or my investor at that matter, um, we identify that problem and hit it head on. And maybe something was overlooked, but a lot of times we're building that, uh, I say, trust with the buyer to, to make them feel good about the purchase because in the process, I'm trying to stretch the market and get top dollar for these people. So if the consumer is paying top dollar, they want everything correct. They want, they want a perfect house. So when the seller or the investor has a punch list items of 35 items, 10 items, 15 items, some could be major, some could be minor, but if it all adds up, it's crazy. I had a deal the other day, um, the inspector said that the outside porch lights were not working. Well, the home inspector uh, didn't realize that they were um, daylight, uh, daylight nighttime um, porch lights. So you actually had to put your thumb over them for about a minute and then they come on because it was 12 o'clock in the afternoon and they weren't gonna work. Um, you know, another situation I had the other day, um, some pump discharge uh, went out the back of the house, went out the back of the house about five feet. So that's a good amount, it's away from the foundation. It was a great investor that did the rehab. Um, the actual uh, buyer requested that it discharge across the driveway into the neighbor's yard. That's against the law. They're gonna get, they're gonna get fined by Baltimore City. Uh, and in the same deal, they wanted the steps to the deck encased. So when they come down, uh, instead of being open risers, they were encased. Well, that deck was done to code Baltimore, per Baltimore City. So why would we encase the steps? So I had an uneducated, I say buyer, uneducated home inspector, and the deal went sideways. And, and it, it, those are the things, now we're working backwards. Then we gotta relist the property and put it back on the market. And then, you know, a couple good agents will say, well, why'd it go under contract? And so it's just, it creates, uh, I say, a can of worms that we really shouldn't have to, to, to deal with in the, in the process. Yeah, it's a, and it's a good point because, like you said earlier, it doesn't necessarily have to be you, but you know, if you're an investor and you're already a real estate agent or you're listening to yourself, whatever the, it is, meeting the inspector there, meeting the appraiser there, meeting whoever else, the service provider there, because homeowners, they're gonna take the advice of the home inspector, and most of these things aren't a huge deal, but they're gonna make it, they're gonna make it a big deal. And it can, that stuff can be taken care of way before it becomes an issue. Like all of a sudden an inspection comes up and the inspector says, hey, this little thing here, that's not a huge deal, and then you know, they get buyer, buyer's remorse. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's a good tip. What do you, you wanna ask a question real quick? Sorry. Okay, um, what are your thoughts where we are right now in today's market related to everything brand new? Because a lot of, you know, I feel like there's a lot of buyers out there that they want to treat this as I either go buy new construction in a community or I buy a property in an existing community that's pretty much brand new. So, you know, even if HVAC's fine, ripping it out, starting over. Uh, you know, have you seen that, that, that investors are coming in and obviously they're upping their budgets to do that. But that being said, they're getting a higher end product and they're literally redoing everything. So, you know, roof's new, HVAC's new, everything's brand new. 
So I think that has a lot to do with the acquisition price. Where you acquire the property will allow you to, to do new HVAC, new roof, new windows, new doors. Um, purchased right, the property is already half sold. Purchased wrong, and we're over budget. And, and I think that that is, uh, when it comes to knowing your numbers, knowing the market, I think that goes a long way. So like Jason said, new construction per rehab. Um, I just had a, a, a horror story that uh, buyers were under contract, good house, looked great. Uh, they got a stop work order three days before settlement. So they're about to do a walkthrough, the buyer's about to do a walkthrough, there's a stop work order on the door. We'll come to find out no permits were pulled. So not only is title work done, the loan's pretty much clear to close, buyer's doing a walkthrough, they're excited, and I got nothing. You know, now the buyer got a release of contract, with the release of contract, they're back, they're back looking at houses. So um, when it comes to making sure the HVAC is new, these consumers, when they're paying top dollar, they, want, they feel entitled. They're entitled because look, they qualified for a house, they're gonna be paying $1,500 a month, $3,000 a month. They want everything brand new. They wanna make sure that new, the roof is new. Um, they want that certification on the plumbing. They want that certification on the roof. So um, those things, you know, when it comes to making sure that they're new, they better be new and functional or they better have a certification. And if you're giving a certification from a contractor, uh, nine out of 10 times, the contractor's gonna make sure that they are functional and they are co working correctly. Let's talk a little bit about some stats, average days on market and things like that, because I think that's important because I know we see firsthand that we'll have borrowers that we'll do loans for, they'll, they'll list the property. Arguably, I always think they list it a little bit higher. And then two weeks later, a month later, they come to our office and let's say they drop off a payment and I ask them how their project's doing. It's like, yeah, it's still listed. Well, did you list, did you drop price? When did you drop price? Things like that. So talk a little bit about what the average days on market should be. Obviously, some people want to push the, push the limit a little bit and try to sell for top dollar, and I understand that, but you know, estimate approximate days on market, when's a good time to reevaluate, uh, maybe things that either you or the investor does related to re reaching out to the seller's agent, or on the buyer's agent, ask them for feedback, because feedback's so important. If, if nobody tells you it's a price issue, then cool. Well, what's the issue? If no one tells you, know, so I, I think that feed, you know, making sure you're always getting feedback on every single person that's going to the property is super important. Talk a little bit about some stats related to that. Maybe sell, uh, what you see with seller concessions, um, estimate, estimate time frames for closing, days financing, stuff, stuff like that. So with that being said, um, when you're talking about days on market, so every area is going to be diff different and fluctuate i think it has a lot to do with the product at hand so if you're in canton and you have parking is everybody familiar with canton federal hill locust point in here from a from a uh, in the baltimore area from a you know i say a hot area there's hot areas um so if you put out a good product it sells but again you have to separate yourself from the i say the other properties on the market so 90% of the consumers find their house online. We provide professional photography, goes a long way. Um, and me as a listing agent, I asked for all the feedback after every showing. So when a house does sit on market, I, like Jason said, I need to give that feedback. Well, you didn't have an open floor plan. There was no parking. Um, they didn't like the renovation. Um, so, you know, I think that's a determining factor. Uh, right before Christmas, 
I have a lot of investors like, oh, we're going to wait till after the new year to list. I say, guys, you, you can't. Let's, let's get it on the market. Let's get it in on the market in December. Uh, well, people will see it. And then, uh, you, obviously, if it goes into the new year, January and February, people will be planning to get the tax money back and they'll be purchasing. Um, it goes a long way. Um, for example, in 21214, days on market are about 65 days. Now, uh, the average house in 21214 is probably selling from anywhere from about 239 to about 260. Currently, I did a market analysis the other day and there was 11 other properties in the area. So inventory is gonna fluctuate given, uh, you know, I say what other properties are doing, what, how other agents are pricing the property. I, I love when investors say, well, this guy sold it in XYZ days or four days or five days. And I'll say, well, look, he sold a Rolex at a Timex price. You know, that's easy to do. Um, me personally, I like to push the market. So I normally like to um, price a, a property fairly high, a little bit high on the higher side. Um, I just did a deal with a gentleman on, on Winston uh, over by Morgan State. The comp showed the area about a 160. Uh, we listed it at 174 because I feel that the consumer uh, that's looking to buy at 160 is still the same consumer that's buying at 175. So with that being said, we listed it at 175, fully staged, fully renovated, end of the group, sold for 175 in seven days. In the process of those seven days, uh, the seller came to me and said, well, XYZ just sold one in three days <laughs> at 165. I said, okay. So I put it under contract in seven days, seven or eight days. I'm not hundred percent sure. And I called him. I said, look, that was worth the wait. You made an extra 10 grand. Now in the process, that same investor has another property in the, in the neighborhood. Now that we know we got 175, let's see what we can do. So we listed that property at 179, went under contract in eight days again. Pretty good, so we just changed the market by about $15,000 over there. Now, when you're dealing with agents like myself or other agents that I network with and have good conversations with, you know, that goes a long way because now let's say if the consumer or the investor is buying over there at 75, maybe he can go to 80 if something hits the market. Um, so I think, I think that helps when you have knowledge or insight, when I'm networking with the right agents, other listing agents, getting feedback, a lot of times, you know, you're going to list with your brother's cousin's friend and they got a part-time job or maybe they're doing real estate part-time. They never follow up. They don't have a system in place to follow up. Um, the feedback is key because if a house sits on the market, just like Jason said, they're going to come to me and say, well, why isn't it selling? And then I just stand, I, the phone goes silent for about five seconds. It's kind of awkward. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know? So, but if I communicate with you through the process, well, look, we had three showings. They didn't like the location. They didn't like the neighbor's yard. Um, you know, the cur lack curb appeal from the start, or maybe the finishes weren't good. I had a, a, a house the other day in, in White Marsh. Great house. You know, the vent covers weren't on, the outlet covers weren't on, and the sheer chandelier wasn't installed. First, the feedback that I got from the, from the uh, buyer's agent said, man, the, the, the finishes lacked. And I'm like, ah, days on market are high there. You know, so, I think when testing the market or uh, you know addressing a price that you're trying to go after, I often ask the, the, the investor or the retail seller, what are you trying to accomplish? What's your goal? And when you set clear expectations in the process, it goes a long way. They'll say, look, RJ, we don't have to get top dollar, but I want low days on market so I can move on to the next property. 
Okay, wonderful. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Got, got a few questions that people texted me. <laughs> um, all right, go over some mistakes that you see over and over and over from investors. Uh, a few things like, there's a lot of especially newer investors and, and it's a learning process. This whole game is a learning process. If a newer investor ever comes up to me and asks me what they think I should do, I say, well, go pull up the, you know, the top sold comps and copy exactly what the heck they did. Um, if they're in the DC area, go find express home buyers and copy them because they know what the heck they're doing. Chances are you're not gonna get it as cheap as they are, but copy, you know, do whatever you can to copy because that, that's what it's about. So what are some, just some mistakes that you've seen on a, on over and over from, from newer investors. And I don't know, maybe some ways that in the future they can overcome those things so they don't happen anymore. So a few mistakes I've seen is know the consumer that you're selling the house to. Um, I had one, I wanna say it was 1609 Shadyside over by Morgan State. And with that being said, I, I told the, the investor, I said, put a full bath in the basement. Well, RJ has a half bath on the main floor. I said, you put a full bath in the basement. So he didn't put a full bath in the basement, sat on the market about 10 or 11 months. We ended up, we listed it at 174. I think it ended up selling at 150, 155 with $5,000 closing help. And in the process, we were getting feedback. Buyer wants a finished bathroom in the basement. And so with that being said, we sold it for 155. Uh, about a week later, I listed the house exactly next door, another end of the group, listed it for 174 and it sold for 169 with like four days on market. It had a finished basement, or uh, I'm sorry, it had a finished bathroom in the basement. So those are the mistakes that I see often. Now this, let's say that uh, 69 or 1609 Shadyside sat on the market for 10 months. If you're paying hard money on that, you probably should just put the bathroom in the basement. Um, so that, that knowledge, because the consumer wants a, a bath in the basement, goes a long way. Um, mistakes I see um, besides that is just guys trying to cut corners or just trying to save money. And you know, I think you pay for what you get when it comes to contractors. So I think it's important to have a good database of contractors that are going to finish the property well. Um, and you know, let's say for example, uh, I have a house on Potomac in Canton. There's no recess lights on the main floor. I can tell you that you probably should be putting recess lights everywhere in the property that you're renovating. It's 2018, guys. People love recess lights. If you want to put a dimmer switch, remote control, I mean, it's a $10 difference compared to your, your dimmer switch with, with no remote control or a dimmer switch with a remote control. The consumer, those are the little things. So the mistakes, I mean, you can overcome them, but I think when you have clear expectations of what your goals are and your results are, I think it goes an extremely long way. And if you guys spend a little bit more money, just do it right. But I think it starts, you know, people say, we'll keep this wall, we'll keep that wall. No, like it started at the, at the, at the beginning of the process where we should have opened this wall up or installed, uh, I say, TV outlets for TVs to be installed or hung, um, things like that. Got it. Um, okay, so a lot of people have had issues with appraisals, doing second appraisals, pushing, you know, pushing the limit a little bit. Uh, what have you done kind of in the past, and I don't know if there's an answer to this, to try to overcome the appraisal issue. So for instance, you sell the property for 170, the next one you sell for 175, the next one you sell at 180. 
or you try to sell for 180 and then appraiser comes in and says, you know what, I can't give you 180. And you, you talked about meeting the appraiser out there and that's huge and potentially pleading your case. Because again, it's all a negotiation with the, with the home inspector, with the appraiser. You know, appraiser's just gonna put whatever they feel you know, is on there, but that's not being said that you can't influence the, the appraiser. Um, so maybe what are some things that, you know, you, you've done, you know, to try to make sure that appraiser is going to, you know, get that price you need. So I meet all my appraisers at the property. Why? Because it's my job. So a lot of times, um, I'm not saying every listing agent, but a lot of times listing agents just list the property, they put some photos online, it goes under contract and we go through the process and next thing you know it underappraises and then they call and tell you oh, the property underappraised by five grand well on these deals are five grand's five grand five grand's a lot of money to anybody so with that being said i meet all my appraisers out there i'm shirt and tie four to five days out of the week <laughs> uh so it goes a long way i show up i have a list of all the updates that the the property has so i try to make their job as easy as possible I supply them with the comps in the neighborhood, a list of all the updates. Um, and then with, with that being said, I answer any questions they may have. So does the house have a new roof? My answer is always yes, because they never get on the roof. So if that has a value to somebody, you know, as, 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 with that being said, because they don't get on the roof, they just say, well, uh, uh, what, what's, uh, what's, a lot of times they just run through the property. So if you're dealing with a first time buyer, that's FHA, you know, maybe it needs a railing. Maybe it needs, it has peeling paint somewhere in the backyard. Uh, a lot of times if I'm having a conversation with them, uh, they're either fluttered or, you know, they're just, you know, buzzing through, they turn on all the lights. Um, when I go to the property, I show up always early. It looks like a model home. Nine out of 10 houses that I list are staged. Um, all the lights are on already. The heat's won't, in, in this case, the heat's running in the property, so it's warm when they walk in. It's an automatic homey feeling before, before the, right when they walk in the door, they feel at home compared to a vacant property that may not be staged, that's dark when they get there because your agent didn't show up uh, to, to let them in the property. And I think that when, when, you, when you do the smallest things, I think that goes the longest way and it shows that you care. And I get a lot of appraisers that I know in the area because I, I meet them out there. So they're like, RJ, you, you know you don't have to meet me at the house. I'm like, I understand Chuck, but it's my job. I know. And I, I try to make their job as easy as possible. So I, I provide them with a list of all the updates, comps in the neighborhood, um, and any other information or permits that they may have, and my analysis of the property. So if, if something's going for $231 a square foot, this is obviously you know XYZ amount, so this is where my value is. And I just say to them, I say, look, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but I'm just, you know, here's a folder. Because if they're seeing 10, they're, they're appraising 10 properties a day, it's just a folder that they're gonna get when they come, go home, they're gonna open their desk, they're gonna open it up, they're gonna read some notes about it. So I try to be as proactive as possible with understanding the market, and then try to, you know, as obviously educating them in the process uh, of the appraisal. Nine out of ten times it works, or, or at least we, we hope it works. Um, and then also in the mornings, I try to set the appraisals in the mornings. So it, I bring a coffee. I have a coffee, they have a coffee. And it's the littlest thing. I did a one in October up in Lutherville Timonium. Uh, it was listed at 499. We sold it at 470. I didn't have a comp uh, in the neighborhood. But I went so far out in the zip code that um, it was a woman. 
I, I showed up with a pumpkin spice latte. And I said, look, I got a pumpkin spice latte for you. She said, I never had a pumpkin spice latte. I'm thinking, wow, you know. Um, with that being said, uh, the comps were completely different neighborhoods, but in the same zip code. The house appraised at 470. So we, we changed the market up there in Lutherville, Timonium. The house was on picket. Um, I want to say at the time the comps were probably about 350,000 for a renovated property. It was a neighborhood that I say is transitioning. The people have owned it for about 20 to 25 years in those in those neighborhoods. Um, it's an opportunity to buy at a, a, a I say a fair market value, increase the value substantially, and sell for top dollar to a good consumer that's most likely a conventional buyer. So, think through a property that sold recently that you know you listed it and it sold surprisingly quick and if is there any reasoning why you believe it sold surprisingly quick um or on the other side of that maybe the other side like one and i mean we've had issues we've had properties that we've sold with you that didn't sell for you know as much as we would have liked and you know it was attention to detail like that was one the one reason why you know we thought you know we we were going to sell for top dollar we try to put it at top dollar and you know some of our stuff you know wasn't as top you know high-end stuff as maybe we should have done uh, so so we've learned from that so maybe just think of one real quick just one one example of a property that sold um, you know flew right off the shelf sold for top dollar and what the reason was or one that did not sell uh, for top dollar that maybe you learned from uh, so with that being said I had 1622 uh, Radsworth over by Morgan State I recently go on the market uh, sold probably within about eight days which I say is fairly quickly uh, probably right before the new year and the reason was I, I just think it was a good rehab it was done right it was staged it looked well um, for example if I know that there's four or five showings on a Saturday I'll turn the lights on on Saturday morning I'll let all the agents know please don't turn the lights off I'll contact the last agent that's scheduled to show the property and I'll say look can you turn the lights off when you leave? I'll also have a, provide a note there that says, please don't, please don't turn off the lights. And that way, when the, when the four or five showings come through the door, again, it's a warm feeling. It goes fairly quickly. Now, on the negative side of that is, you know, I'm going to put Jason on the spot. There was a house that it just didn't have central AC, <laughs> you know, and it's 2018, and they just didn't, I, I don't know if they didn't equate for central AC, and then... You know it had a detached garage and the, they didn't put a new garage door on so whether the the consumer or the buyer uh want to wants to use the garage they still don't want to look at a garage that kind of looks dilapidated and it and it set it set for some time it, i mean but you know it, it it's the small things the attention to detail that i say goes a long way when it comes to, to selling these houses um and you guys put a lot of sweat equity in you know, you're paying hard money a lot of times. Um, you're managing contractors. You may have a full-time job. So, look, you guys want to move these products. And I think when it comes down to the finishes, that's what sells these products. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that put lipstick on a pig. But, it, you know, it just depends on how good your lipstick is, really. Um, when it comes down to it, just, just close the deal and, and make sure your carpenter's in there tightening up things and making sure it looks good. And I think that goes a real long way when it's going to get top dollar. Thanks. I want to take a quick five minute break because Amy Breeden's going to come up afterwards and she's got some really good insight on layouts, fashion, color schemes, staging in general. 
Um, she owns a state. She owns a staging company, so she's in. She's inside fully renovated houses all day long. That's that's what she does. Um, and I think she's got some good tips for everybody. I'll, we'll talk to her more about the the layouts and the design and the paint colors and the stuff. I think she probably has a little bit more insight on that. So give us like five minutes, and uh, we'll circle back with Amy. And then we'll do we'll do questions and answers after that as well. <laughs>